Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6 are where we at, are, is where we're at tonight. There we go. Uh, Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. Verse 5 says this, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather together in your house tonight. Thank you for the children and uh, them learning God's word, what a blessing that is. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for uh, the wonderful music. And uh, Lord, for this new ministry that uh, we're starting to try to reach out and to those who are new to the area. Lord, I pray you would bless that. And uh, Lord, help it to be uh, an encouragement to these new families to find a good a good local church, and I pray, Lord, you would use us to draw many people ultimately to the Savior, uh, but also to our church as well. And uh, we do pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in a special way tonight from your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So last month, in the month of February, we started our series called Living by Faith, which was the title of the song we started the service with uh, tonight. And the idea here was to find out who is in the grandstands watching and cheering us on as we run our race. Remember Hebrews 12, our theme verse for the year. Uh, really, really, it's 12, 1 and 2 and 3. But uh, 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... Uh, Because of that, we are then to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Um, And uh, as the writer of Hebrews says, this uh, so great a cloud of witnesses, what he's referring to is the Old Testament saints that are listed in Hebrews chapter number 11. And uh, since we are to be running and looking unto Jesus, it's also nice to understand who is in those bleachers uh, in the sky, so to speak, uh, that are watching us and cheering us on. Uh, So we started going through these, and last Sunday, if you recall, we uh, studied Abel, and uh, he... We, we mentioned that his life continues to preach. At the end of verse number four, it says, uh, By it he being dead, yet speaketh, that his life and the actions of his faith continue to preach about the importance of coming to God on his terms. If you recall that, remember Cain came to God on his own terms. He kind of get to, he wanted to be able to call the shots, Cain did, and and uh, and, and and God looked at the two sacrifices and he looked at Cain's and said, no, because you've, this is a represent, representation of your works and your efforts. Abel's, his is an expression of faith. And uh, we learned that uh, Christianity uh, last Sunday, remember, is not Burger King, have it your way. Uh, but instead, uh, he, it's not Burger King, have it your way. It's he's the king, have it his way. And uh, so that's what we looked about, looked at last Sunday night. Now tonight we come to the very second example that uh, the writer of Hebrews gives about living by faith, and that's a, a man by the name of Enoch. 
And uh, to really get the full story, he's mentioned in three different passages of Scripture. We're going to look at all three of them tonight. And uh, by the way, this message is uh, when the very first sermon that I ever preached on. Uh, well, I, technically, it was the, the first time I ever preached here. It was Sunday school. Uh, and I preached from Psalm 27. And then the Sunday morning service, I preached from, uh, from this man, Enoch, here. And so this is very similar, a very similar message uh, that I preached that, that first Sunday that I was here almost three years ago. So for those who are here, this may be review. Uh, for those who were not, this is all brand new material anyway. So, uh, but uh, I thought it would be appropriate to, to share these thoughts and a good review for those who have heard it before. Uh, Genesis chapter number 5 is the first time Enoch is mentioned, and so if you would, uh, tonight, let's turn over there, and uh, kind of, we'll pick it up with this passage. Enoch is mentioned in three scripture passages, three books of the Bible, Genesis, Hebrews, that we just read for our text, and then also in uh, the book of Jude. Uh, but Genesis chapter 5 is where we'll start. Uh, with as we go through into this message. Uh, let's pick it up in uh, verse, number, uh, verse number three. The Bible says, And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Ad- that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years. And verse number five says, And he died. And then you go to verse number 8 at the end of that verse, and it says, and he died. You go to verse number 11, and he died. Verse number 14, and he died. Verse number 17, and he died. Verse number 20, and he died. Verse number 27, and he died. Kind of morbid, right? This is not the most encouraging of the uh, sermons that I've ever preached, but it'll make sense here in a moment. Eight times in all, in uh, Genesis chapter number five, uh, we read the words, and he died. uh, It seems like a very depressing genealogy that we can uh, quickly just skip over in our Bible reading. It reminds us only of the consequences of Adam's disobedience and the one certainty in life since. But in verses 21 through 24, we have a notable exception in a man named Enoch. It doesn't say that Enoch died. And he was uh, most famous for never experiencing death because God simply took him. Let's read these verses. Verse 21, it says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty-five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Uh, He is most famous for never experiencing death because God simply took him. He was one of only two men in all of history to bypass death. Enoch was one, and the other was, anybody know? Elijah. Elijah. Common denominator? Their names start with the letter E. Okay, that's not really the common denominator, but when I think about that, I do like to think that because my name starts with the letter E, I get to bypass death too through the rapture. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be the case. I hope it is. Now, there's little doubt that the life of Enoch typifies the doctrine 
of the rapture of the church before the tribulation period. And uh, that certainly is a worthy discussion. Tonight we're going to spend the time considering the life of this unique man who did not ever experience death. Uh, very little is said in Scripture about the man Enoch, but what is said speaks tremendous volumes about the priorities in his life. And so tonight I'd like to examine the three priorities of the man who was not for God took him and look at a life lived. Uh, the title is Enoch, the right walk. And we're going to look at his walk and, uh, and, and how he lived his life. And uh, hopefully we'll adopt the same priorities and the same walk that he had in his life. Number one, let's notice uh, tonight that Enoch pursued God. He sought the Lord and had a walk with him. The Bible records that Enoch simply walked with God. He was the first of only two men in all of Scripture of whom it is recorded that they walked with God. There's only two people in the Bible that the Bible says they walked with God. Enoch and the other man is found in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 6. And verse number 8 says this, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So Enoch and Noah are the only two men in Scripture that uh, it's recorded that they walked with God. Now, there's others who uh, you can, there's evidence that they walked with God, obviously. Uh, but the only two that uh, the Bible says they indeed walked with God, Enoch and Noah. Now, walking with God insinuates and implies a life in pursuit of the Almighty. A lifelong journey to know the Creator. Over and over again in the Word of God, we are invited and challenged and even commanded to pursue our God. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29, it says, But if, thou, if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. 1 Chronicles 16.11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face continually. This is to be a lifelong pursuit, not a uh, once, you know, one day you're going to arrive there. No, you're going to, it's a continual uh, searching and seeking. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Micah 6, 8, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good? What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God, to walk humbly with thy God. We're called to do this. You see, the Christian life is more than just having our sins forgiven and having our eternity secure in a place called heaven, although those are wonderful blessings. See, our salvation then has opened up access to a relationship with God himself where we can talk with him and know him more and more as each day passes. So the question for all of us is, do you, like Enoch, have a walk with God. I know most of us would say that we do, but here's a, uh, here's a powerful excerpt from, I, I quoted Tozer this morning in the service. I'm going to use him again. Uh, and uh, an excerpt from his book, The Pursuit of God. He said this, Millions call themselves by his name, it is true, and pay some token, token homage to him, but a simple test will show how little he is really honored among them. Let the average man be put to the proof 
the question of who or what is above, and his true position will be exposed. Let him be forced into making a choice between God and money, between God and men, between God and personal ambition, between God and self, God and human love, and God will take second place every time. Those other things will be exalted above. However the man may protest, the proof is in the choice he makes day after day throughout his life. A pursuit of God is more than lip service and a flippant desire. It is a dedicated, consistent drive to know him and to walk with him each day. And as the writer of Hebrews said, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So Tozer is correct. The proof really is in the choices you make day after day throughout your life. You can say you have a walk with God, and I think if we were to go around the room and say, raise your hand if you have a walk, most of us would say, we, yes, I have a walk with God. But again, uh, it's, it, it's not really true unless your choices actually prove that you have a walk with God. All right, so back to Enoch here. There are a few aspects I want us to consider tonight about the timing of his pursuit of God. When did he begin this pursuit of the Almighty? Well, first of all, he pursued God in a time of great wickedness. The author of Genesis has already written about the sin in the Garden of Eden and then records the very first murder, which we uh, mentioned last Sunday night. And is moving towards a time of tremendous wickedness found in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, which says this, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Uh, This uh, chapter 6 and verse number 5 took place a mere 500 years after God took Enoch. So in short, the times were very much like our own, and we were heading towards judgment and yet in spite of this in spite of living in a time of tremendous sin and wickedness Enoch pursued and walked with God he did not let the culture around him be an excuse and though sin and wickedness prevails in our culture in our day and age may we still choose to pursue God seek him with our whole heart yes even in this as Titus says this present world, right before we have our memory verse, Titus 2.13, right before that is uh, the grace of God teaches us that we should live godly, soberly, and righteously in this present world. And Enoch did that. He pursued God in a time of great wickedness. And so I know it's tough to seek the Lord and to walk with God out here in this day uh, with all that's going on. I know it's tough, but, but look, Enoch did it. And uh, Noah did it, and you and I are called to do it as well. So he pursued God at a time of great wickedness. Uh, Note, secondly, he pursued God in the prime of his life. Uh, If you go back to chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5, and verse number 21, it says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. 300 years. So he was at the, uh, the, uh, the young prime age of 65 years old when he began to walk with God. Now the older I get, the younger 65 seems to be. I'm not that far away from 65. I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm getting close. 
uh, not not too close, but I'm getting there. Uh, I'm definitely uh, I, I'm definitely seeing it a little. It's a little bigger than it used to be. Now, to our knowledge, back in the day, uh, the average lifespan at that time was 919 years. Can you imagine knowing that you were going to live for 900 plus years? That's crazy. In today's society, let's say that you live 90 years. 65 years old in Enoch's day would be equal to a little over 6 years old in a 90-year lifespan. Now, why do I point this out? Because Enoch practically had his whole life ahead of him at age 65. Uh And he was 65 years young at that point, and he was probably in the middle of building what we consider a career at that time. And yet he chose to really seek the Lord and to pursue God during the prime of his life. So many of us here today are in the peak and prime of our life. What are we doing in this season of our life? Are we uh, only merely focusing on a career, making a name for ourselves? A lot of people in this stage of their life say that they are way too busy to really walk with God because I've got a business to run, and I'm just so busy with my family, and I'm so busy with all the things that my family does, the extracurricular activities that my family... I just don't have time to really walk with God. Wrong perspective. Uh, Martin Luther, who I disagree with in a lot of things, but there are some things I do agree with him on, and he said this, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning... The devil gets the victory through the day. He said, I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Uh, Here was a man who understood that busyness and chaos of life should not cause us to neglect our seeking the Lord, but it should propel us to seek Him more, not less. And there's young people here tonight. What are you waiting for? Solomon instructed his readers to remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. So begin your pursuit of God now while you're young, while you have some energy that you won't have later on in life. Use that energy for God. Use uh, your youth for the Lord. Don't just use it for yourself and for the things of this world. Use it for the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 63, verse 1, O God... Thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. So don't wait until you get a family or a job or enough money or whatever else you're looking forward to. Uh, Begin now. Develop the godly disciplines and habits of pursuing God now so they stay with you as your schedule, as your responsibilities and pressures increase in adulthood. And they will do that. So you need to develop that relationship, that walk with God now in the prime of your life. And, uh, you know, it's always been said that uh, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best day is today. And so you can't go back 20 years ago and say, I really wish I would have started, you know, reading my Bible every day or I, back, back 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I wish I could go back and, and change some things too. But, but look, let's start today doing what's right. And Enoch started at age 65. I bet he wished he could have started it when, when, when he was you know, uh, as young enough to understand how to do anything. And, and yet, he did start when he was 65. So he did it so in the prime of his life. He also did so 
Uh, Thirdly, as the Lord blessed him with a family. Verse 24 says, And Enoch walked with God. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. A lot of times a... uh, baby has a way of putting life into perspective and causing a young adult to grow up very quickly, understanding now he has a uh, responsibility for not just himself, but now for a family. Seems to be the case with Enoch. He put away, it was time for him to put away childish things and become a spiritual man who decided to walk with God. I'm sure he realized that now he was responsible for another soul and for the direction of this new little life. He rightly chose to pursue a close relationship with his maker. But not only did he begin his walk with God with Methuselah at his birth, it continued as the Lord uh, continued to bless with more sons and daughters. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And so uh, as the Lord began to continue to increase their family and their um, and the, and the children in their home, uh, Enoch continued to walk with God. So it wasn't just a te- temporary religious phase of his life that he was going through because he had a new baby and he and the missus were, gonna, were thinking they should go, start going to church now because it's the respectable thing to do. No, he made it a priority for the long haul. Dads and moms, grandmas and grandpas, let's not quit Uh, walking with God and pursuing God as the Lord continues to bless our homes. Uh, We need to keep going and keep going, and Enoch did. Whether Enoch realized that it would happen or not, his walk with God left an impactful legacy for future generations. For instance, his great-grandson by the name of Noah, uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the message, he also walked with God. Noah was born four years after Enoch disappeared and no doubt heard stories of his great-grandpa and his unique walk with God and strange disappearance. Noah followed the example of Enoch and so have so many others since. In fact, his legacy continues to impact believers today and hopefully will impact us here uh, tonight. So we talked about this last Sunday night as we looked at Abel and his sermon that it continues to preach. What legacy are we leaving our children in generations to come? Do our children know that we are walking with God? Do they catch us reading God's word? Do they catch us praying? Do they ha- catch us having devotions? Have they ever seen us try to witness? Do they wonder if they're going to church during a service? Do they know that God is important to you? Do they see you respond to life's issues God's ways? What legacy are you leaving your children and the generations to come? What memories will they have of you that they'll get up behind a a pulpit like this perhaps and share a story or two about the legacy you left after you're gone? Or will it just be the things of this world or will it have a spiritual Uh, flavor. Psalm 78 verse 4 says, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. And so here we have a man who 
walked with God. He pursued God. How do we, do, how do we pursue God? Just very quickly, a couple thoughts here. Uh, we, we pursue God by spending time in his word. God has revealed everything he wants us to know about him in this book right here. Everything he wants us to know about him is right in here. And I would challenge and encourage each of us to read God's word every day. I, I say it often. I continue to harp on it. And by the way, so long as I'm your pastor, I'm going to continue to harp on it. Because I believe we are to have daily time in God's word. Give us this day our daily bread. That's not just talking physical food. We also need the spiritual food from God's word on a daily basis. And so I'm going to continue encouraging and challenging all of us to spend time every day in God's word. Uh, we were, uh, I was talking to someone about uh, what the Catholics do regarding their, 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 how they treat the Bible. They really honestly do not want people to read the, the Bible. Uh, let us do that. that that's our job. We're the clergy. We understand the Bible. You don't understand it, so you don't need to read it. Let us tell you what it says. Do you find some danger in that? Talk about judgmental. Talk about uh, offensiveness. Well, that's what they say, and I'm here to tell you, look, the, God's given all of us his word, and, and uh, you're, I'm not more special than you. Look, we all can read God's word, and I want to encourage you to do that. Now, it's good to come to church and, and uh, have a, you know, a special meal prepared that you can receive, spiritually speaking. On a daily basis, uh, you need to learn how to feed yourself. So uh, spending time in his word and spending time in prayer. Going on, when you go on a walk with someone, typically it's a two-way conversation. Now, my wife's not in here, so I was going to make a joke. I'll still make a joke because uh, she's not here to correct me. So this is great. It's like uh, I have uh, unlimited uh, ability here to, to um, when, when we go on a walk, many times she is doing most of the talking, <laughs> just because she's a lady and she likes to do the talking, um, and that's good, that's fine, and, uh, and prayer can be that way at, to a point, you know, where we're uh, talking to the Lord, but hopefully it's a little bit where we're willing to listen to him too through prayer. Uh, Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer thee, show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Um, so the first priority of a man who was not was that he pursued God. And I hope that you will decide to pursue God too. Right now, in this time in your life, let's not wait until someday in the future when everything kind of sorts itself out. Let's pursue God now. Secondly, he pleased God. He pleased God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 5, our text for uh, the night. We read it at the very beginning. At the end of that verse, it says this. Uh, God translated him, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, this would indicate that it is entirely possible and within our ability to please the Lord, our God, with our lives as well. Now, I want to stop and point out that we should not endeavor to please Please, God, for the purpose of him accepting us more, loving us more. Because the truth of the matter is, if we're believers, we're already accepted in the beloved. There's nothing you can do to make him love and accept you more than he already does. But we should then, because of that, endeavor to please him because we love him and desire to bring him glory and pleasure. 
Now, thankfully, God has told us in his word ways in which we can please him, ways that we can bring pleasure. So what are they? And I want to give them to you super very quickly tonight. Uh, first of all, a life of faith, a life of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six. Most of us are familiar with it. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But if you reverse that with faith, it is possible to please God. And by the way, this verse is within the context of the life of Enoch. Uh, verse 6 comes right after verse number 5. And verse 5 talks about Enoch. And so a life of faith pleases God. When someone actually believes what God says about himself is true and acts upon that truth, God is well pleased. So that means when someone learns from Scripture that God is holy and then decides themselves to stay away from sin and to walk with God, God's well pleased. When someone learns that God is truth and then decides themselves to tell the truth in a difficult situation, God is pleased. When someone learns that God is faithful, good, and trustworthy, and then they choose not to worry, fret, or get nervous, but to instead rest and trust in Him, God is well pleased. So a life of faith. Uh, secondly, a life of purity. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm not going to take the time to read through this whole passage, uh, but I just want to highlight one of the verses, 1 Thessalonians 4, and uh, verse number 3, it says this, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. A life of purity pleases the Lord, and it is something that he is well pleased with. In verse number 1, it, it connects the pleasing God to uh, the life of purity. Now, we all would agree that we live in a wicked society where temptation abounds and it's super accessible but when we choose instead to keep our eyes our minds and our bodies pure God is well pleased if you recall this back in 1991 that's that's a little bit back uh, now but uh, if you remember NBA player AC Green does anybody remember his name uh, said that when he became a Christian, he resolved to keep his purity. He played on the Los Angeles Lakers. He said, we all have the power of choice, but once used, our choice then has power over us. And he talked about birth control are hailed today as the answer for unwanted pregnancy and disease prevention. No one tells the kids that they fail 15 to 36% of the time. Teen pregnancies have increased 87% since the government began its birth control crusade. They say, we will never stop the AIDS epidemic until we stop promiscuity. And uh, when Magic Johnson was diagnosed with HIV in 1991, and most of the team went in for testing right after that, A.C. Green said, I didn't. Because he decided that he was going to abstain from any type of uh, sexual sin, and he was going to uh, live a life of purity all so that it would be pleasing to God. Can I encourage you, young people and not-so-young people, to live a life of purity? And yes, even in this day where all kinds of debauchery is so accessible, even in the little computers that we carry around in our pockets, uh, we need to live a life of purity. When we do, God's well-pleased. A life of, uh, Thirdly, a life of generosity pleases God. Hebrews 13, uh, verse number 16. says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. 
Uh, when we live a life where we're not just hoarding for ourselves, but instead uh, understanding that God uh, blesses us in order then to bless others, God is well pleased. Someone once said that we are never more like God than when we give. Because remember, for God so loved the world that he hoarded. No, he gave. See, when we choose to reject and refuse selfishness in our lives and instead give to the Lord and to his work, we bring pleasure to God. Fourthly, a life of submission. A life of submission. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Colossians is after Genesis and before Revelation, in case you're wondering where that is in the Bible. Um, Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. See, one great way to please the Lord is to submit to the authority in our lives. Young people, are you looking for ways to please God with your life? I hope the answer is, yes, I am. Well, great. One way is to obey your parents. Submit to them with your actions and your attitude. Both are important. A lot of times, kids are good at obeying, but they do so with their eyes being rolled back into the back of their head. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, and it's just this big, huge drama fest. And uh, look, having the right attitude, too, where it's you have the right heart uh, in it. Young people, uh, obey your parents and submit to them. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And when you do, God is well pleased with a life of submission. Uh, church members ought to submit to the authority uh, that God has set up within the church. Citizens of the United States of America, Oklahoma and more, let's submit to the ordinances of man. Uh, so long as they don't go against the word of God. And uh, I think at this point, if they say that we're not allowed to meet together, uh, that is uh, against the word of God. And uh, we're going to go with the word of God on that. But uh, employees, submit to your boss. And of course, all of us need to submit to the authority of God in our own lives. And when we do, God's pleased. Again, as believers, we should say, there's ways that I can please God. I'm all ears. What do I need to do? A life of submission. Fifthly, a life of praise. Uh, back to Hebrews 13, uh, verse number 15 says, uh, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And uh, verse 16 says that with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And obviously it's easy to praise God when things are going well, but when things aren't and we still give him praise and thanks, he's well pleased. He's well pleased. Uh, Psalm 69, verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I'm going to magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. And when we choose to praise the Lord when things are not going super well and we're choosing to rejoice in, in the Lord when uh, things aren't happening the way we want them to, God says, that's better to me than you dropping a big old honking fat check in that offering box. He said, I'd rather have you praise the Lord when things aren't going well 
Now, this isn't what I'm saying, just to let you know, okay? These are what, this is what God says, okay? Just want to clarify. Uh, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I want what God wants. And, uh, and I want us to have a, to, to, to not just have a good prayer life, but have a good praise life as well. Uh, Louis Albert Banks tells of an elderly Christian man, a fine singer, who learned that he had cancer of the tongue and that surgery was required. Well, in the hospital, after everything was ready for the operation, the man said to the doctor, are you sure I'm going to never sing again? The surgeon found it difficult to answer this question. He simply shook his head, no, you're never going to sing again. The patient then asked if he could sit up for a moment. He says, I've had many good times singing the praises of God, and now you tell me I can never sing again. I have one song that, that, that will be my last. It will be of gratitude and praise to God. There in the doctor's presence, the man sang softly the words of Isaac Watts' hymn, I'll praise my maker while I've breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler power. My days of praise shall never be past, while life and thought and being last or immortality endures. How would you respond to something like that? This man chose to respond in praise. And when we do that, that sacrifice, God is Bible says, well pleased. Uh, sixthly and lastly, on this thought here on how to please the Lord, uh, a life of humility, a life of humility. In 1 Kings 3 and verse number 10, we're not going to turn there, but this is when Solomon, dis- the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, hey, what, what, you're about to be king, what do you want? And uh, Solomon said, you know what, I need, I need wisdom. Like, I need, I don't really have any understanding. I need your understanding, Lord. And, and that pleased the Lord so much that he gave him wisdom, and he gave him riches, and he gave him authority and power like he had never given before, and really never since. See, when we realize that we don't have all the answers, and that we need God and his wisdom to face life, God is pleased. By the way, he promises to liberally grant us wisdom when we ask. So someone has once said, there are two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. What's it going to be? Enoch, for one, chose to please God with his life, and I hope you will make the same choice. Thirdly and lastly, Enoch preached God. He pursued God. He pleased God. But then, in the last portion of the Bible, in Jude Verse 14 and 15, we see that Enoch preached the Lord. He preached God. If you would turn to Jude, uh, that little book right before Revelation, and pick it up in verse number 14. In a great day, or in a day of great spiritual darkness, Enoch stood as a bright and shining light and lived as a beacon of the truth. Now let's look, look look what he said in verse number 14 and 15. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Yeah, we've heard about that. You realize it was Enoch was the one who prophesied about that. In verse number 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, And of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so let's take a moment to examine the content of his sermon, of his uh, message here. First of all, he preached about the coming judge. 
He spoke about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now in Bethlehem, Jesus came as the Lamb of God who would become the ultimate and complete sacrifice for the sin of mankind. But the second time Jesus comes, he'll come as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who will bring swift judgment and make all things right. So he talked about the judge that is coming in verse 14. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. But then he also preached about the coming judgment. Verse number 15 is that part of the message. He spoke about the day when he will convince all the ungodly of their deeds and then execute judgment upon them. There's going to be no arguing for he will be right and they will be justly sentenced to the lake of fire. Now, Enoch wasn't just content to know the truth for himself. He understood these things to be true for himself, but he couldn't just keep it to himself. He had to simply share it. Paul felt the same way when he said, Though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So no matter how unpopular it is, the truth must be shared. God has called you and I to preach the truth within our sphere of influence. How do we do that? Well, we're to preach with our tongue, of course. As D.L. Moody walked down a Chicago street one day, he saw a man leaning against a lamppost. The evangelist gently put his hand on the man's shoulder and asked him if he was a Christian. The fellow raised his fist and angrily exclaimed, Mind your own business! Moody said, I- I'm sorry if I've offended you. But to be very frank, that is my business, whether you're a Christian or not. Because the Lord has called me to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and to go into the nations and uh, make disciples. And God's called me to do that and God's called you to do that too because it is our business to go and uh, find out if people are saved or not. We're to preach with our tongue We're also to preach with our testimony. Look, you may never actually preach a sermon behind a pulpit in a church building, but you are called to preach to your children, to your neighbors, to your community, and to your world. And the most powerful sermon you can preach is with your life, with your testimony. And may our life point others to Christ. Enoch preached God. He had the priority of preaching for the Lord. Do you have that priority in your life as well? Why did God take this man, Enoch, and kind of bypass death? Well, he had some great priorities. He had the priority of pursuing God, of walking with God. He had the priority of pleasing God with his life. That was what he was focused on and preaching for God. Do we have these same priorities in our lives Look, not much is said about the man Enoch in Scripture in terms of quantity, but the quality that is said is great. He had the priorities of pursuing God, pleasing God, and preaching God. When your life on earth is finished, what will be said about you? What will people, and most importantly, God, say about your life? I mean, it's good when our loved ones come behind and say, oh, he was great or she was wonderful, but, but what does God say about my life? What will God say about Eric? Will he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? I hope the answer is yes. So, 
No wonder the Bible says, and the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, verse number 5, says that he pleased God. He had this testimony that he pleased God. I hope that uh, you will strive to have that same testimony as well. And uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. 